Hello, I'm Bentley. Give me photos of Spider-Man! <laughs> <laughs> you want a staff job and you want a staff job? Does anyone care about what I want? I do. Shut up. Get out. <laughs> Can we just do a whole podcast about J. Jonah James? No, I was just doing that to pop you out. Know, just... <laughs> <laughs> I think he's the perfect boss. Because <laughs> even if boss... I mean, he's a cartoon, obviously. But holy cow, there's a reason what why... What are you waiting they... for? Chinese New Year? <laughs> <laughs> We should do a podcast about our favorite, like, big <laughs> characters. Our favorite characters in other movies. John, your wife's on the line. She says she lost her checkbook. Thanks for the good news. <laughs> and don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, that actor has won an Oscar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but not for J. Jonah Jameson. No, Because sadly. there's no justice in the world. That's right. You know, we could also talk about Arlie Emery, who just passed, right? I mean, he's a guy. We, we, there are all kinds of actors out there, like Chris Christopherson, of course. Uh, Our love for James Hong is well-documented. Well-documented love of James Hong. Uh, but Shatner, right? Shatner is in Miss Congeniality for maybe ten minutes of screen time. And he steals every single scene. It's, he's it's, hilarious. It's, it's still arguably one of his most famous roles among a certain demographic, a certain age group. Who grew yeah. up with miscongeniality? Like, right, right, right. right. <laughs> that's who Shatner is. And uh, same thing with Arlie Emery, who just passed a few weeks ago. Yeah, so, Gunny, rest in peace, man. A lot of people know Gunny from really his first role was in um, Full Metal Jacket. Full Metal Jacket, thank you. But he goes on to consult and punch up scripts and obviously star in other things as well. It's a brilliant through line and of he's his career. he's the army men sergeant in uh toy story, toy story. Yeah. and again he's got a, a mrs potato head repeat <laughs> it's a mrs potato head and as soon as you hear that voice you know exactly who it is yeah so one of the fun things about this review podcast for me is as i drag samuel back to some of these even black and white movies you know you see character actors you know who will go on to do sometimes uh, other really famous things. It's why I am also trying to push for us to do some uh, like famous TV shows because you can see a lot of actors there, you know, in bit parts. But there are no small parts, is the famous Hollywood line, right? If you get one scene and you're a young actor starting out, you give it everything you've got. You research the role. You write backstory for that character. If you got two lines, like I was rewatching clips of the Avengers to get myself ready yep, for Infinity yep, War. Good, good. And there is uh, a scene where Captain America has to do crowd control with the cops. Mm-hmm. And the lead cop has maybe two or three lines, and he's got a little mini arc. Yeah. And I remember that character. Yeah. You know, he's got, uh, he's got a little tiny interaction with Captain America that changes his opinion on the situation. And that's a cool little bit part for that actor. I think it's actually one of the main dividing lines between movies that do stay in the canon as classics and movies that fall out, right? I mean, there are plenty of movies that uh, had big name stars at the time. They had big budgets at the time. They did commercially well at the time. But as you watch them again 10, 20, 30 years later, you're, you're like, if you get bored in a movie, it's because the bit characters are not well written and not well acted. Okay, so like we just watched The Desperate Hours. We'll do a quick bit here on that. And you actually remarked on there was a guy, he's in a, uh, a hamburger joint and the cops have set up their like mini headquarters. They're, st- they're trying to figure out how they're going to go at the criminals. Oh, yeah, I love this dude. I love this dude. So, yeah, <laughs> so they're in the little like hamburger shop to yep. like figure out how they're going to go after the criminals. Yep. 
And at one point, this lawyer guy, who's the boyfriend of one of the main characters... And he looks perfect, okay? He is conventionally handsome. He's wearing a beautiful camel hair coat. Yeah, no. And he comes in, and he, said, he like, mouths off to one of the cops, and one of the cops just, like, shuts him down super hard. It's a great burn. And the lawyer is kind of looking around the kitchen for sympathy, basically. Like, whoa, that sucked. And one of these cooks... Who looks like a Muppet. I mean, <laughs> I can't tell where his chin begins, where his where his face really is located. Yeah, yeah. He looks like someone has a hand controlling him. Yeah. And he just kind of looks at the lawyer and goes, <laughs> like, like, he's, like, you're not going to get sympathy from this Muppet-looking dude. Like, finally, for a brief moment, you're down there beneath the him on the totem pole. Right. Because right. at least the cops didn't bother the Muppet looking guy. <laughs> and that's awesome. That totally stuck with me. Yeah. What a weird looking dude. Yeah. Yeah. So it's absolutely... I mean Steve Buscemi's made a career out of this. Steve Buscemi probably has made a career out of yeah. looking freaking weird. And and being a bit character. I mean, we ought to have an Oscar for that. Yeah. There ought to be an Oscar for, you know, the best character. For the actor. Sam Rockwells of the universe. Well, that's why Sam Rockwell winning this year was such a big deal. Yeah. Right? That that he uh, even in his acceptance speech kind of acknowledged that, you know, that that he had made the transition from character actor to uh, somebody worthy of an Oscar. And it's a huge divide, and it shouldn't be, right? Because uh, I like the Coen Brothers movies because they're full of interesting characters who sometimes only get one scene. Yep. You see a character for one scene, but the actor does a great job, and you can tell the Coens have thought about their backstory, and it sticks with you. Yep. Uh, any others that we can... Um... God, just rattle off the top of our heads. I mean... Oh, man... Well, look, okay, so let me fill in here by saying that, you know, nerds get a lot of uh, heat from uh, other people in the society uh, for... Not these days. Uh, talking like 10, 20 years ago. Not dude. as much, not as much. I still think there is some heat, but, you know, there, the criticism of, well, you're just living in this, you know, bubble, well, you're talking about a community that cares about all the bit pieces, right? Yeah. Okay, so if you're a fan of Star Wars or Star Trek, you have a reverence for the whole tapestry. So, okay, I would and say, I would defend that. Yeah, I would say um, Sean Bean. Sean Bean. Oh point, yeah, the Bean, <laughs> as he's known in England, they just call him the Bean. There, I remember one time I talked just like a tiny bit of joking smack and like. The, the natives where I was in England were not happy about that. I actually really had to de-escalate that situation. Because <laughs> they were like, are you, are you Josh in the bean? I was like, no. No, 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 no. Why do they like beans so much? I think it's because he is very blue-collar for them. Yeah. I think he's yeah. very... Uh, he almost has... My understanding, just from listening, is he almost seems to have that same sort of Harrison Ford aura. Where it's like, huh. he's not that level of star... But you see him and you know he's worked with his hands before. He's, mm. he's not an actor because that's what he was classically trained or whatever. You know, he's an actor because, you know, someone plucked him, you know, from obscurity. I don't know if that's his actual backstory, but that seems to be the perception that he's one of them, one of us. He'd go, he'd go down to the pub with you and have a pint. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. Of, of, we're leaving out arguably <laughs> the most important bit player if there can be a most important bit player it has to be christopher walken well character actors character actor. say that <laughs> i mean there are different levels a bit player is the muppet guy 
in the desperate hours scene in the, in the <laughs> but then you can rise to character actor uh and then you get above that to oscar winning actor, leading actor. guy <laughs> yeah capital a actor and so christopher walken has made that transition yeah. uh max von Sydow is another one of my oh, favorites max. Had, you know where he can show up in two or three scenes in a movie man and he just lends it weight like he, conan he does that in Conan, and it's awesome. Oh man, did I just walk into another Conan? You walked into another Conan podcast. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. I'm kidding. I, okay, we've done eight minutes. I was just trying to do a funny little bit. Man. No, this I is good this... stuff. I really like this. Okay. Um, can you think of uh, other movies that are sort of you know not genre, not sci-fi? Um... Do I watch anything that's not? <laughs> well. It's funny how... I, mean, I can tell you about a bunch of... Voice acting is a whole different thing. You know, there are... That's voice, similar. Voice, the, the thing about the voice acting industry is that it's even smaller than the acting industry. It's mm-hmm. so insular. It's yeah. so... Like, you're either in it or you're not. There is there is just such a... You know, it's not like, oh, I had a few roles in this. It's like, no, your IMDb credits are either 400 things long or nothing if you are a voice mm. actor. Mm-hmm. And very few voice actors make the transition to regular acting and very few actors make the transition to voice acting. Are we going to get to talk about Clancy Brown? Oh, of course we got to talk yeah, about Clancy Brown. Yeah, Clancy! So Clancy! Woo-hoo! Clancy is the rare actor who seems to be able to do both. both. Yeah. And he's a character actor in both because he has such <laughs> an iconic <laughs> voice, you can't disguise him. You can't dress it up. When I was sitting there watching Thor Ragnarok, and the second person to speak on screen is Clancy Brown. I was like, yes! Like, you know, he plays Suter in that movie. And I'm like, all right, Clancy, moving up in the world, man. Like, yeah. it's just so weird to see him in Green Mile where he's this brutal, harsh, evil policeman. But that's not what people are going to remember him for in 20 years. They're going to remember him for Mr. Krabs. They're going to remember him for Mr. Krabs. Like, they're going to remember him for a pinning, pinching bright red crab who lives under the sea and whose most valuable employee is a sponge. And if you had told uh, Mr. Clancy... Mr. Krabs, uh, don't you mean seven words? Not if you're a sailor. <laughs> like, he is, he's, he's unbelievable. And he was Lex Luthor from my childhood. I consider him the same level of definitive for Lex Luthor that people consider Hamill for the Joker. Oh, And I think nice. I'm totally alone in that. But that's because I've always liked Lex Luthor. And I won't turn this into a Lex Luthor podcast, but I've always liked Lex Luthor who is implied to have come from a really rough background. Mm. That he is someone who... He's a self-made man. Yeah, is a self-made man. Like his, the whole point of Lex Luthor is he has to actually be everything that he says he is so that when Superman enters the world, yeah. it he sees it as a personal invalidation. The whole point yes, of Lex right. is he, in a normal world, would be the Superman. Right, which, let's take a moment to talk about Lex Luthor. Okay, we're going to talk about because, Lex Luthor for a second. Because the... He's more the, relevant than ever. The broad view of the Superman myth is Superman is an immigrant and he's the American story because it's an immigrant story. Except the well-written Superman stories bring in that aspect of Lex Luthor that you just talked about, and there's conflict there. Yeah. Okay? And it's the conflict that, yes, we are going through in our society right now. Lex Luthor is the native-born American who has, you know, put together his own empire, right? He's built something himself, and then here comes somebody with different sets of talents 
who in certain situations is more important, better, more powerful. And it drives Lex crazy. Yeah, Lex can't coexist with Superman, even though there are plenty of things that he does that Superman could never do. Superman is, you know, the interpretation of Superman's obviously has varied as any classical mythical hero, but he's never been portrayed as an inventor, really. You know, Lex no, Luthor's no, no. an inventor. Right, right. You know, Lex Luthor so is... Lex, so the point is, a well-written clash of those would say that Superman is an American archetype because he's an immigrant trying to make it in this new world, but so is Lex. They are equally true American archetypes. Yeah. And that's the conflict in our society. God, I love Lex Luthor. He's so great. <laughs> he's but so great. Back to Clancy anyway. Brown. So Clancy, Clancy. Where some people... You know, just focus on the Harrison Fords and the and the giant stars and the Brad Pitts. And the royal weddings. And the royal weddings. You know, it takes all these other people to make the tapestry. I've been telling you this for uh, many years, that these big Hollywood movies, you know, they are they're a factory, right? They take literally thousands of people to make these movies. And I have great admiration for somebody like Clancy Brown, who can do Mr. Krabs for children. He can also... Uh, light up a Coen Brothers movie like Hail Caesar. He can do The Green Mile, right, which is very serious, very heavy-handed, and he actually gets his start. One of his first notable roles is as the bad guy in Highlander. Oh, the Kurgan. Right? Dude, oh, I freaking love Highlander. That's a great actor, right? When I see Brad Pitt in a movie, he's basically just Brad Pitt. Yeah, he's okay? still playing Brad Pitt. He's Brad Pitt over and over and over, and that's fine. Maybe this know? time he's Brad Pitt with a lot of makeup on. He's like an old, <laughs> he's like old Brad. He's old Pitt. Brad Pitt, and he ages in reverse, <laughs> and then dies in Hurricane Katrina because that's subtle, right? <laughs> but I, I like freaking the, hate that movie. <laughs> the people like Clancy Brown, you know, they are true actors because they can cross all of these different genres got, and fit in all of these different they got range, stories. Man, they got, they got range. range range for days like phil lamar is another voice actor but he has done traditional acting as well folks if you know phil lamar it's probably from one thing he has a huge effect on the plot of pulp fiction even though he only has a couple of lines Mm. he's immensely important to pulp fiction because he's marvin He's the guy who they put in the back seat who John Travolta accidentally shoots in the face. <laughs> and that's how Phil Lamar gets his big break and his stardom. But then he transitions into voice acting where he plays Static Shock, John Stewart, the Green Lantern, yeah. and Samurai Jack. He does oh. all of those. Wow. Phil is an amazingly talented guy. So that's a Hall of Fame actor. Yeah. That you've never really paid attention to. And it's weird to watch Hamill's career arc, where he's megastar, basically nothing, voice actor, so he's very popular in a certain circle, and now Disney is trying to push him back into being megastar, and you can just tell by his Twitter and his Instagram, he's just too weird for that now. (laughs) He's just not going to fit that But we love Mark Hamill for that. We love Mark Hamill, but he's so clearly rejected this weird, like... When people started broaching the subject about him maybe like winning Best Supporting Actor when for, for The Last Jedi when they started a four-year consideration campaign, yeah. I don't think there could have been anything more alien to him. You know, yeah, that's true. That's because a... three years ago, he was a VIP at the G4 Game Awards, you know, where he'd get a little statue for Best Voice Actor for the Joker, yeah. and that would be the highlight of his year. Yeah. He would be super excited about that. Yeah. 
And, and what? What? Oscars? <laughs> like, you should have given it to him a long time ago. It's too, you know. I feel like, you know, we're, we're definitely in this place where I feel like we're getting a lot of corrective Oscars. Like, you know, Sam Rockwell, I think uh, also well, uh, Jeff Bridges, you know, winning for Crazy Heart. Nobody saw Crazy Heart. Nobody cares about I mean, Crazy Heart. It's a good novel. I keep meaning to watch the he movie. He should have won for Lebowski. And I think he even well, mentioned that in his acceptance speech. Is him <laughs> talking about like, oh, well, this is interesting. Like, like he doesn't... <laughs> what are you going to give 60, 70-year-old Jeff Bridges now that means anything to him? He doesn't well, no, care that's anymore. True. That's true. That's Jeff- true. Well, so the Oscars, I mean, that's a separate podcast about how screwed up they are. But I like where you're going with that last comment. And that is, you know, when I was growing up, like 10-year-old Bentley... You know, this stuff just was not known, right? There was no such thing as IMDb or Wikipedia how where did you, you could survive. How did we survive? There was no way to watch old movies except with my father in the air-conditioned basketball court at South Dakota State University yeah. in, in the summertime is where I watched things like 12 o'clock high. Yeah, okay, get some jackrabbit ice cream afterwards. Exactly. There was no cable TV. We were in the dark ages. So Hollywood knew, you know, who these character actors were and who the people that they could count on were, you know, and there were mega stars like Clark Gable and Humphrey Bogart. Um, but underneath that, they knew, okay, if you, if your movie's in trouble, you know, which director do you pull to be the third director to get it across the finish line? Okay, so they knew all that. But what I love now in 2018 is we get to know that. Yeah, it's right? Ron Howard. You call Ron Howard. Ron Howard looks like he's going to save Solo. We're yeah. very excited about Ron this. Ron Howard's like, mm, I got six months to shoot a full Star Wars movie. Hit it! Like, and so he's a perfect example of this as well. I would argue that his first role, you know, it's on a hit TV show, so it, it, it becomes known. Uh, and he would be in our culture if he only did that role, right? Of little Opie on the Andy Griffith show. Right, because that runs forever. We see him grow up, but that's basically a bit part, right? It's a, you're a child actor. Yeah, you are by definition. But he makes the transition not into being a bigger actor into behind the scenes. He makes the transition. Well, to... wait a minute. Before he gets to be director, though, he uh, does make a major Hollywood picture. Right, he's in George Lucas's American Graffiti. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so he then grows into somebody. Uh, who's worthy of uh, being a headliner on a Hollywood movie. And then, of course, he goes back to television, and he does Happy Days, right, which is a mega hit, and he's on that for years. But, yes, then he transitions into directing in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So he's a great uh, story uh, of this talent who, who getting some, started in a small role. Who are some women character actors? Ooh, good call. Well, you know, uh, this gets into Or is lot. the system set up... To be, you either have to be a major actress or you're nothing. No, uh, it just becomes a very political uh, question. The first oh, person I, was... I think of is Frances McDormand. But, oh, yeah. But, but she's won she's two just... Oscars, yeah. right? So she's made that same transition that we were just talking about with Ron Howard. You know, Ron Howard goes from being little Opie to winning Oscars as a director. Yeah. Right? He's had a great arc. Uh, and Frances McDormand has had a great arc. Uh, she just won her second Oscar this year. Um, but the, the political part of this is, unfortunately, Hollywood casts young women, you know, they're often, you know, they, they pick a 25-year-old to be Sean Connery's girlfriend in a movie, and by the time they hit 35, Hollywood, traditionally, doesn't cast them anymore, and it's a completely unfair situation. It's just now starting to break out that these 
great actresses can continue to work into their 30s, 40s, and 50s. Yeah. But it's just a very recent development, sadly. Yeah. So I guess that's why... Oh. I'd like to, I'd like to kind of hear from our audience actually in the comments like are we what are what are we missing who are the who are the the women character actors are we are we missing someone like uh, I feel like the woman who played Aunt May in the original Spider Man trilogy she's a great character actor I'll tell you another one who's actually made the transition Kathy Bates I feel like uh, started off as a as a character actress um, and now has you know she's headlined movies for twenty years now yeah yeah. Um, so she's made that transition. I'll tell you what, um, I just recently, just for passing the time on an evening, you know, dipped back into our beloved MST3K, and, uh, there's a movie about, you know, radioactive giant vegetables. Oh, God. And it stars Peter Graves, right, who, um, is in all of these 50s sci-fi movies, but then grows into Mission Impossible and and a, a pretty nice, uh, career himself. So he's a traditional leading man, but they give him kind of a tough Lois Lane type character. There's a female reporter, right, who's who's objectively the center of the plot, right? She's the one who starts asking questions and sniffing around about these killer vegetables. About these about this killer situation. Well, what happens is like a whole town in Illinois disappears, and she's got her camera in the back of her really beautiful uh, convertible Cadillac. You know, I mean, she is the lead of this movie. But it's an actress you've never heard of because she does a whole bunch of things in the 50s and early 60s. She's in a bunch of westerns, which were very popular at the time. But you know what? By 1969, she's dead because Hollywood stopped casting her after she reached a certain age. And she turned to drink and she drank herself to death, you know. So what I get tired of is walking into all these diners and seeing the the romanticized James Dean pictures, you know. Oh, isn't it so sad about James Dean? Well, you know what? It happened to a lot of other people, too, and unfortunately, a lot of women in the history of Hollywood. So, not to make this too dark, but when we talk about the valuation of people who are not the mega stars, we're also talking about how Hollywood has treated a lot of female actors. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of underprivileged actors in general, yeah. you know. Yeah. So. Uh, that's another thing we haven't touched on is, of course, all of the uh, character actors of color. Yeah, and you know we've got another podcast coming up that will involve Jim Brown, and Jim Brown. You know, basically, by the time I start watching movies, he's finished his Hall of Fame NFL career as the top rusher, uh, and you know he does some headlining things in the black exploitation era in the seventies. But by the time I'm watching movies in the late seventies, eighties, he's just a character actor. They just throw his name up because they know people want to see Jim Brown, but he gets maybe 10 minutes of screen time in anything he's in. And almost no speaking lines. And almost no speaking lines, which is a shame because he can act and he is an interesting character. And Um, he still cuts a very impressive silhouette. I mean, this is a slab of a man. Yeah, yeah. Even into the 80s, you know. So it is kind of uh, sad when you see the arc go the other way. (laughs) Right. (laughs) When somebody is really at the top of the culture, you know, he's on the winningest NFL team of the 50s. Okay. (laughs) And then by the 80s, you know, he's in running man. (laughs) This is really a downer. This isn't exactly how how, how I intended things to go when I I started this little little podcast. You've turned what I thought was an enjoyable lark into something completely darker. (laughs) What does it, what, we have to get that guy playing J. Jonah again. 
I'm sorry, we haven't even mentioned his name. We should mention it's, his it's name. It's J.K. Simmons. Um, so, I mean, so he has returned to that role periodically, usually in parody. Uh, in, well, there's a Simpsons clip. There's this clip of him as a <laughs> uh, poet editor, uh, the editor of a poetry journal, doing the same voice. And acting the same way Jay Jonah does as a New York City newspaper editor, which, which is, is funny. Hilarious. Um, but he also reprised the role in full on the animated Spider-Man cartoon, Ultimate Spider-Man, that they made in the early part of this decade. Wow, um, I didn't know that. I have no love for it. I have no interest in it. It's, it's not na- well written? It's named for my favorite version of Spider-Man, but it shows none of his characteristics. Oh. They put him on a team with a bunch of other like teenage superheroes. Like he, It's like Spider-Man and his amazing friends. <laughs> and okay. Well, yeah, but how do they do with J. Jonah? He's basically, a, 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 again, not to get too political here, but he's a, he's a Bill O'Reilly figure. He's got oh, a nightly news show. He's yeah. like, Spider-Man's a menace! And that's right. that's the way that they, I think wanted. I think and they wanted to keep giving J.K. Know. checks. You know. And um, I'm gonna go on YouTube and look at some of those clips. <laughs> yeah, they just don't let him be as salty as I think he should be. And and you know, um, but that was also the show that gave. Um, oh God, who's the guy who plays who plays Phil Coulson? Oh, the guy from Clark uh, Gregg. Clark, Clark Gregg, Gregg got his start on that. No, no, not his start. Not his start. He was already in the Avengers stuff. This was oh, just another okay. check for him because they because they had killed him off in Avengers by that point, point. Right. And, and I think Agents of Shield hadn't started up yet. Yeah, so they were like, Clark, hey, buddy, stick around, we got something for you. So, so is he playing Agent Coulson? Yes, he is. <laughs> That's and, awesome. And Nick Fury installs him because this is not in you know the Marvel comp any sort of continuity. Yeah, yeah. Well, they the ins- Marvel Cinematic Universe is yeah. its own continuity. Yeah. So they install him as the as the uh, principal of Peter's school, undercover. That's awesome. See, so this is what I love about our culture, that these character actors, you know, the smaller parts, get to kind of link up, and these these actors, who are good actors, they're just not Brad Pitt, you know, get this work, right? It's a beautiful tapestry now. Yeah, actually, everyone go back and watch the entire PBS show, Liberty's Kids, and just play Spot the Character Actor. It is amazing. Any favorites from that? Um, well, this is a megastar, so it's not a favorite, but, or, or it doesn't qualify for this, but you know who plays John Paul Jones in that series? Mm-mm. It's Liam Neeson, dude. Nice! Which it's, makes sense, it's because awesome. John it's, Paul is Scottish. It's the sickest thing ever. <laughs> That's awesome. It's, it's awesome. I mean, it, the whole show is filled with, who was the, um, who was the Aust, not Austrian, or maybe Polish? We had, there was a general who we oh, yeah, yeah. brought in. Uh-huh. To be, basically, to whip our farmers into shape. Yeah, yeah, Pulaski. Okay. General Pulaski. That's played by Arnold. Shut up! Yes! You have to go back and watch Liberty's Kids. It's Uh, incredible! I was too busy Everyone needed a tax (laughs) write-off. Everyone's working for BBS now. Uh, Ben Stiller plays Thomas Jefferson. It's insanity. he's a terrible Jefferson. That would be terrible. It's, it's, he's too, he's too... He's too New York. Yeah. But it's... Oh, that's too funny. There's a lot going on there. It's there's a lot. The Liberty's Kids IMDb list is fantastic. <laughs> Which you can all. This is see. like a conversation starter at parties for me. Like if I'm oh, with a certain group good. of people who well know, your generation. Yeah, if my generation. You know, if they were like me and they grew they grew up without cable, Saturday morning cartoons were either WB, if you had the good enough reception yeah, yeah. to get the WB, yeah. or PBS, which is always coming in strong, but it's like, eh, it's PBS. Wow. I'm not here to learn. <laughs> I need to put sugar in my body and watch Jackie Chan. Uh, watch something. Watch something with some action. <laughs> Something's got to happen on the screen. 
Challenge showdown. Give me something. Okay. He might be about to tell you that this constitutes abuse on my part for not <laughs> giving him cable. So we're going to end the podcast right here. It's I'm not Bentley. Abuse. I had to learn how to survive. <laughs> and that was good for you. That was good for me. <laughs> Join us next time where we talk for an hour about Most Extreme Elimination Challenge. Most Extreme Elimination! <laughs> I'm Bentley. And I'm Samuel, barely. And this is the Review Podcast. Podcast. Let's go. Let's go.